Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Chad here with I Write Veteran 8888. And today we got another gun gripe episode for you. Now, this one might ruffle some feathers. However, I think we're going to go over some really cool concepts and ideas that I think you guys are going to be very interested in. And we're going to be sort of posing the question, are suppressors useful in combat, right? Are suppressors a useful thing on the battlefield? Now, there's a, a few points of contention here that we want to discuss and go over. And uh, I think you're going to come away from this video, maybe scratching your head or maybe nodding your head. So we'll see. And you know, we'll, we'll see how this all lines up. But before we get started, I do want to thank our friends at Griffin Armament for supporting our videos. These guys make some awesome suppressors. They come in at a fantastic value. They are a veteran-owned company, and by the way, their Instagram page is awesome. They shoot all kind of awesome tech on their Instagram page, so make sure you follow them. But a big thanks to our friends at Griffin Armament. If you're looking for a suppressor, look no further. They are a great group of people, and a big thanks to them for supporting our efforts here on the channel. And what better company to have in this particular video here today, because we are talking about suppressors, but... Um, I saw a few points of contention over on the Twitter page. Now, I'm not going to try to find these comments because they're buried in thousands of freaking comments, but a few folks um, over on Ukrainian's Weapons Tracker, okay, that's a page that I follow there uh, on Twitter, they were mentioning how some of the Ukrainian troops were complaining about suppressors in combat. They foul up, the guns gunk up, they end up having some issues, you know, maybe requires more PM than normal to keep the guns running, Um so let's talk about the pros and cons of suppressor use in an environment like that. Well, so suppressors have been used in combat dating all the way back to like forever. I mean, but they were widespread in World War II, of course, right? You know, you had the Delisle, you had the Stens. Like suppressors are, there's, they're no stranger to, you know, the field of combat. For yeah, sure. but how common were the suppressed stins and Delisles compared to, I mean, how many unsuppressed stins were there compared to suppressed There stins? were a lot, and like moving forward in time, like suppressors became more of a clandestine affair, right? right? But then like modern times, I mean, there's a ton of companies over the years that have had military contracts, you know, to supply, I mean, all branches and even like um, um, just government organizations like uh, CIA, FBI, and such with suppressors for their duty guns, right? And even some police, uh, you know, like law enforcement agencies have suppressors on their guns too. But mm -hmm. um, dependent on the design of the can, like the problems that you mentioned, all right, number one, most of the traditionally baffled cans, right, they're going to increase back pressure, which therefore increases cyclic rate. And all that back pressure, if you're talking about DI gun, you're talking about sending even more gas and carbon and fouling into the action than before. Before we get too far into just technologies and suppressors and what can really make them or break them in terms of, of these applications, why don't we discuss the applications first? So like, all right, in a military environment, what are some things that we're concerned about? Well, well one thing is a concept called noise and light discipline. And basically, it, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? At night, you're not going to be flashing around a bunch of lights. You're not going to be noisy. You're not going to make a bunch of noise, right? But in, in a firefight, I mean, obviously, the more quiet you can be, the more stealthy you can be, probably the better. Now, if everything cracks off and it's just a loud, crazy environment, I kind of feel like that's where suppressors are going are gonna to shine because while your enemy might have a whole line of troops shooting AK-47s, probably with no hearing protection. Now, I'm... 
primarily discussing this under the context of the Ukrainian war because that's what's going on right now, and that's the conflict that we have to use as a litmus test, okay? You still have a supersonic crack from the projectile that you can't get around. However, in the duress of combat, in a, in a crazy spicy environment with a lot of lead flying both ways, and especially if your enemy's running a bunch of loud guns and probably blowing their, their ears out in the process, while all that fog of combat is going on, uh, that's when, yeah, maybe you could lay around and, and pop off a few shots with a suppressed gun and, and, and probably not get detected especially at close ranges, mm -hmm. and especially if they're shooting loud. So to put it in perspective, most of this combat footage that I've been seeing come out of Ukraine, uh, most of it helmet cam footage, and I would say the majority of that footage is from the Ukrainian side and not so much the Russian side. And I don't know if that if that's because the Russians are much you know stricter on OPSEC or stricter on like what type of information and footage gets out from their troops, or maybe their troops just don't have quite the technology in terms of the cameras, which I'm going to guess that's probably one of the reasons. For whatever reason, the majority of the, the combat footage is usually filmed from the Ukrainian side. Uh, and I'm just going to chalk that up to them having better technology, better helmet cams, better. And I've noticed, too, that their weapons generally are better. They're more well-kept. Um, they have definitely more suppressors on their guns, I would say, on just a per-soldier basis. So most of the of the footage I'm seeing, I would say probably 60 70% of the people I see in the combat footage have suppressors. So this is a conflict where suppressor is, suppressors are widespread. And arguably, probably the first modern conflict in our lifetime that we can point to and say that the average infantryman has a suppressor on their rifle. All right. Now we look at our own program. Look at the United States military. All right. What did we just do? We just adopted this crazy new SIG with the can and all this crap. And, and now they're wanting to issue suppressors to infantrymen, just basic grunts. And if you were to go back to the 60s, right? Back in the day, and and you know, Joe had a hard enough time keeping an M16 clean. Mm -hmm. and now you're going to go around and, and try to say, oh, there's this suppressor now that you have to contend with. So obviously, the training that we're giving our troops now has to be better mm -hmm. than what it was back in the day. In order to give a no offense, because I'm an infantryman, I'm a, I'm a eleven Charlie. Okay, I can say this because I am a grunt. But to give a scrub grunt a can and go, here you go. I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to end for them. I don't know, but I mean, there are definite benefits to suppressor use. Like, as you mentioned, um, if I guess, what would you call, I'm not a military guy. So like in a first contact situation, like where like you're trying to ambush like a patrol or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you're in the wood line, you know, and you've got suppressed guns and you're 300 yards away, if there's a suppressed shot that fires off. It's very difficult to determine the direction that shot came from because the muzzle blast is contained mostly within the can, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the whole purposes. Contain the sound pressure, right? And the flash uh, coming out of that, that barrel. All right, by doing those two things, you hear mostly just the supersonic crack of the projectile, which is emanating from uh, 360 degree sphere around the projectile itself. So it's literally bouncing off everything. You have no idea where that initial crack came from, you know, the, the shot. So that's one definite benefit. Um, but like, as I mentioned there, the flash mitigation is a huge thing too. If, if the can is designed well and it's used on the proper platform with good ammunition, with modern powders, like low flash powders, you know, you might get a little tiny 
flash out of the end of like a quality suppressor. Um, but then like literally it, it soaks up all that fire coming out of there. You don't see hardly anything, even under nods. So there's definitely So again, that. noise and light discipline. Yes, and you're absolutely. right, setting up an ambush, certainly I could see where, you know, some determined individuals with suppressors that, that that would certainly be in a combat situation, a force multiplier to be able to hide your position better. I mean, think about it back in the day when you had troops um, in mass formations shooting black powder rifles at each other. Mm-hmm. All right, what's going to happen? Boom, you hear a loud sound and you see a giant plume of smoke and you immediately know where the enemy is. Right now, what was the next progression for small arms development smokeless powder what does smokeless powder do smokeless powder gave us higher velocities bigger greater standoff distance and most importantly no smoke mm-hmm. right so that fixed that problem what's the ne- next natural trans you know progression uh for keeping an infantryman safe in the field well to hide your location your sound even more right so it does make sense and uh so there are some quirks with suppressors Regardless of the design, whether it's flow through or like a traditional old school, you know, like K baffle type setup or whatever you're going to run, right? Um, there are some hang ups and caveats to consider. And I would say one of those is going to certainly be heat, right? The cans are going to get hot mm. and the guns are going to run hotter. You're going to get more heat back in the action. Um, now, I know Chad is probably going to interject and, and provide a bunch of very good nerdy things to. To help with this, I mean, of course, adjustable gas systems, and there's many different ways we can mitigate some of those shortcomings. But at the end of the day, uh, combat is a stressful environment and a very rapid paced environment, and you know, cans get hot, right? So, you know, you could get the crap burned out of you. You got mirage from the heat, right? These guys are suppressing AK-47s, AK-74s, whereby they're great platforms. I think the 74 is a fine gun. You start throwing a can on it, the action's loud. You probably get a lot more crap back in the action from the additional back pressure. It's probably gassy as crap, and these folks are running full auto on most of the combat footage I'm seeing. It's all full auto use. And these guys will shoot a burst out of a 74 with a can on it, and just like you can even see in some of the combat footage where they're like, you know. So I could see where they would complain about suppressor use. Now, there was a situation where a lot of the Ukrainian special forces were armed with domestically produced M16s with suppressors. Now, that might make for, you know, especially with the correct gas system and the correct setup and tuning the gun might make for a more effective tool than trying to suppress an AK. I mean, AKs have never really been meant to be suppressed, and they've never really excelled in that role very well unless very, very specifically set up. Well, you know, the original, like, PBS suppressor, you know, for the Kalashnikov platform, it was designed to kind of mitigate some of the excessive back pressure and stuff with that large blast area and stuff and like mm-hmm. a kind of a conical aperture and all that. And, you know, Dead Air is making like kind of a facsimile of those nowadays. But, um, you know, there, there's been like... The action's loud. The action's loud. But, I mean, you're not going to get around that with a semi-auto, but... um. Yeah, I don't know much about the Ukrainian, like the the variation. I think it's called the UAR-15. But um, aside from it being messily produced, I don't know what can they're running on it. I have no clue. I don't know if it's like a, a flow-through type design mm-hmm. or the the entire platform itself is, you know, From is the looks of it, it's definitely not a flow-through you know, design. I don't know. Yeah, it's flowing I mean, through right back in the, yeah, <laughs> into your I, face. I don't know. Um, but the, the thing, though, is like, 
like I said, suppressors definitely have their use, but they have their shortcomings too. And as I mentioned um, earlier, you know, just depending on the baffle design, it can it can cause a number of problems unless the gun is set up to accept that suppressor properly. But then you're getting into more, you know, parts and pieces and maintenance and things like that with adjustable gas systems and, you know, having them set just right for that particular can. Like you mentioned, they get hot, you know. You, you know, drop the gun to get your sidearm or something and, you know, that thing hits your leg and burns through your camo and, you know, you've got an injury because of a hot can. I mean, just you know, a consideration. Yeah. There's, there's covers and things for them that are made. Um, like, I think it's Magpul. I don't remember what it's called, but they make kind of like a metal frame that has, uh, a, a larger circumference, um, shield around it that helps, um, you know, pull air into the system. So like when you're shooting the, the muzzle blast coming out of the end of the aperture actually pulls air through kind of like, um, not a Vickers, but a Lewis Maxim, gun or a Lewis, like a Lewis right. gun. It's got yeah. the same kind of concept where it's creating that, uh, like a Venturi effect, Yeah, you know? So it's kind of cooling the can. As and then there was that company. What was it? Mantis. That uh, makes those, those like, ru- kind uh, of silicone. Yeah. It's like a silicone yeah. bake tray material yeah. that they, but and it's got the fins on it. There's I mean, ways. That's, there, yeah, an there, option. There's ways to mitigate all that, but it really comes down to the the design of the baffle structure. But you know, no matter which can you run on there, they're going to load up with with carbon, right? And eventually, they're going to need maintenance too. So a lot of times, that requires like literally soaking it in like a gun scrubbing solution or something. You know, some pretty caustic, you know, chemicals to help break that carbon up and get it out of there. And I don't think you're going to do that in a battlefield scenario. But I not mean, easily. You, you got to talk. I mean, you're, you're talking about shooting thousands and thousands of rounds before you start losing effectiveness. But some of the newer designs, like the Huxworks, like they're 3D printed um, or well centered, you know, flow can, right? They have like a service life of 10,000 rounds without any maintenance. Like 10,000 rounds, if you don't do anything to that can, it's going to fill up and that's going to be the end of it, right? But if you maintain it about every 1,500 rounds, you soak it in a solution, you know, um, and shake it out, you know, get all that crap out of there. Then you can get to 20,000 plus rounds service life out of it, maybe 30,000, which is kind of that's kind of typical range for a cannon. Hardly anybody is ever going to shoot that much in their lifetime on a commercial level. Shoot multiple barrels out. Yeah. But I mean, you know, in a military environment, you know, you could easily get to that with training and i guess combat so I mean, I suppose a quick word on pms in a in a in a, in a war environment you know so, someone might be asking themselves well how in the world in this stressful environment are you going to take care of your equipment so i know this goes without saying but you do your pms in batches okay you never ha- you're not going to go well it's break time johnny i guess let's all take our guns apart and soak them while we eat breakfast no, you always make sure you have a certain, you don't want to, you know, reduce your strength, right? So what you would do is let's just say there's a trench system and let's say there's 20 of you in it. And let's say it's, it's you and 20 other guys or whatever. And you guys have, a, I don't know, a, a mile wide territory or, or quarter mile wide, however long territory to cover, you know, your trench system, however long it is, is irrelevant. But let's just say you've got your area. Well, then, you know, obviously if you heard the PKM, you know, knock off 500 rounds that morning, chances are, you know, you might want to move the other one a little closer in and then, okay, and you're calling radio, you guys do some cleaning. We're going to make sure we got this one ready to go. And that way there's no issues. And then they get theirs clean, you clean yours, right? 
you know, your guy down down the end, you know, maybe needs to do maintenance. You know, he relays that the chain of command says, hey, I need I need to do some cleaning. Well, you got to make sure you got some guys to cover you while you're doing that. Simple. There's a funny cartoon from back in the day. And this this was a cartoon. I, I doubt I'll be able to find it. it. It's probably buried somewhere in the nether on, on the Internet. But it's funny. Um, you know, the, the, the military used to, the American military used to put out these just funny little comics and stuff, especially during like the Korean War and World War Two and things like that. And um and I think even in into like Vietnam, you know, they they had these these funny little comics that they put out, and it's a morale boost kind of thing. But there's one during the Korean War that was really funny, and it, it shows this like you know big hefty NCO up on top of the of the top of the trench going, here they come, and there's and there's you know guys with their bayonets attached going into a fight, and here's little Joe Snuffy with a with his bedroll laid out, and his M14 is in pieces, and he's going. You know, like, he's got to struggle, you know, hurry up and get his freaking gun back together because the enemy's on the way. But it's just, that's that's war. But but anyway, the point is, PMs are a thing. And, and it doesn't matter if it's unsuppressed or not. I mean, you, you do need to, you know, take care of your equipment. But the frequency, though, is increased. For yes. Sure. Yeah, with and suppressors. And that should so. be a consideration. I mean, if you're going to run suppressors, you have to understand that, the you know, the guns are going to get dirtier. I thought that when you clean guns in the military, you know, everybody just kind of took their uppers off and you just ran like one of those extra long Otis, um, you know, the Otis uh, pull-throughs, and you just ran it through everybody's gun or their upper, and then somebody on them was like, all right, and you pull it through at the same time, and boom, they're clean. Either that or what, you carry like some WD-40, you know? I would, uh, <laughs> we we had cans of Strikehold. Uh, and, and I remember taking, I, I remember my parents shipping me strike hold. Heck yeah. And, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. And, you know, some of the stuff that, that we had available to us was, was pretty decent in terms of, I mean, obviously we had the Otis kits, you know, the little pull through, uh, complete kits, big shout out to Otis, by the way. I mean, they make fantastic stuff, but, um, you know, the Otis kits were always great and we had those, but, you know, generally, you know, just CLP, I mean, I would always just swab my gun out every other day or so, you know, just mm-hmm. r- at least run a patch through the bore because you got a lot of sand and dirt and bull crap and you definitely don't want your chamber to get dirty. So I was always really funny to keep my dust cover closed. Mm-hmm. And we had those, uh, those plastic A2 flash hider covers that you could put on there that shoot off. And that was a good way to kind of keep some of the dirt from getting in the bore. So there's little tricks and hacks like that. I'm sure the Ukrainians and Russians are both employing little hacks and things like that. Although I would imagine the Russians are probably pulling boot laces through their guns because they probably don't have cleaning kits. And if they do, they got one between 10 men or something. Maybe even a, a poncho liner that, that 10 of them have to share. Mm-hmm. They're pretty ill-equipped from what I can see. Yeah. Well, you've been following a lot more of like what's going on over there. You mentioned this video, and I mean, like I've seen a little bit. Yeah. But just most recently was just the adoption of like those those AR variants, mm-hmm. you know, over there. So I mean, there's a lot of widespread suppressor use in this conflict, and I don't want to get into the political ongoings about the conflict. I mean, I don't, I don't care where someone stands on the conflict or how they feel about it all. Uh, that's not what this is supposed to be about. It's just that the war is the most recent, you know, most most recent. Uh, situation where there's widespread suppressor use. And in fact, I would say the first war where there's been absolute and, and undisputed widespread suppressor use. Um, I know early in the war, 
when the Russians tried to take Kiev, uh, there were a lot of Ventura's sniper rifles recovered. There was a whole airborne battalion wiped out. So that's a lot of Ventura's. You're talking about VSS's? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the Ukrainians captured a bunch of those off of those paratroopers. Uh, The Russians lost a whole battalion. Well, trying to take back that uh, that airport. Well, well, maybe after the conflict we can get Ventura's parts kits imported. I doubt. Likely it. not. But I don't. The point is, is I'm not sure how much widespread suppressor use there is on the Russian side. I mean, I'm sure, just like any military, modern military anywhere in the world, your special forces and your more specialized soldiers with a higher level of training, of course, are going to have access to the cooler toys, mm-hmm. including the Ventorezes. And I'm sure I've, I've seen some integral suppressed SVDs and things like mm-hmm. that as well that are that are out there, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so both sides are using suppressors. But in the case of the Ukrainian military, I just think it's very kind of um, convenient and, and oddly convenient that whereby our doctrine has been to run suppressors on a much more direct role for just average infantrymen, mm-hmm. okay? I think it's funny how the Ukrainians are kind of following suit, and like a majority of the helmet cam videos I see, uh, you know, a lot of them are running suppressors. So I just wonder, maybe it's that the, the helmet cam footage I'm seeing is coming from the special forces and operators, but these guys just look like regular Joes. Like, they don't look like they would be like high-end operators. I don't um, know. These, these all look like just regular dudes. It seems to me just like looking at it kind of from the outside is just the proliferation of like available technology. I mean, small body-mounted cameras, like, I mean, even like GoPros or whatever, and uh, you know, even cell phones. I mean, you can stick your cell phone or whatever in there. And I don't know what the rules are with cell phone use and stuff. I, I, I read an article that uh, some Russians were located using cell phone triangulation because they they were using their phone out in the field, I guess, to try to upload a video to the internet or like look at something on the internet or whatever. But uh, it seems it's a much easier task now to like film that kind of stuff and syndicate it out there to the masses because you know, mm. Starlink is over there. Right. So, I mean, how many of the troops have access to, you know, the internet via satellite? Mm-hmm. Right. So look at that. all the drone footage. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they're using drones for forward observer work, mm-hmm. right? So they're calling in artillery strikes. They're locating enemy forces using drones. Uh, and, and like the Rashid Iranian drones that the Russians are using are literally like combat drones that, you know, are basically. Those are the ones they fly into the they target. They fly right? into the yeah. target. But in the case of surveillance and using, you know, just collecting footage, a lot of these Ukrainians are, are actually. In, in a lot of ways, they're conducting some pretty serious uh, training in, in a lot of ways. Like, they're opening the world's eyes to what these modern battlefields can really be by use of this drone footage. So you use a, the drone as a, a forward observer asset, and then you call in some airstrike or, or something like that, or not an airstrike, but you know, a, a, an artillery strike, which ne- neither side is really... Uh, been able to establish air superiority, which I find to be kind of strange, but that's neither here nor there, but an artillery strike. And then now, well, the drone's already in the air. You might as well film it and kind of see what's going on. And that's invaluable training uh, assets later that, that, that when now when you're training this newer and upcoming soldier, you can go, Hey, this is what we did. Here's, here's the radio traffic of how we called in the fire mission. Here's how we did it. Here's how we conducted it. And here's the result. Never before in the history of, of warfare, has drones been used in such 
a way that an average grunt can just pull one out of their backpack and go, hey, this street over here looks dangerous. Let's let's throw a drone in the air real quick and have a look around, see what you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of have a little angel in the sky to kind of help you out a little bit, keep you from running into a potential ambush or something. You don't know what's around the next corner. So, again, between drones, suppressors, clandestine operations are always going to be a thing. But we're not talking clandestine operations. We're talking on the battlefield. I mean, like a lot of this footage I've seen, like they are literally full auto dumping at each other from 100 yards away. Like it's just crazy. You can see bullets bouncing off everywhere. It's like, holy crap. Crap's insane. It is insane. But I wanted to kind of make this video because I feel like it's it's something that is a worthy talking point to talk about the pros and cons of suppressor use in the modern battlefield. Uh, I know some of our friends have some varying views about this. One is John Lovell, who, you know, now this is a completely different, I suppose, argument, but his argument is that you should not use a suppressor in a on a home defense rig or something like that. You know, you want, you want the potential enemy to, to know you're there and to flee if they given or he, he, he may have had his mind changed recently. I did see something where he had, he had maybe changed his mind. It's like, on well, wouldn't recently. you, wouldn't you want to be able to take out more of the enemy? He's like, huh? Good point. There is something to be said about a loud and proud house gun that like, if there are more baddies outside, they go, okay, we don't want no part of that. You know, they hear that dog bark and they're like out of here. So I could, I can understand levels. uh, Maybe I need to have a chat with him and maybe we'll, we'll do a revisit and talk about this same concept, Mm -hmm. but for home defense instead of the modern battlefield. And then maybe we could get his opinion on this subject that we discuss in this video Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, he would know. He would know. I Jessica don't know Lynch anything. knows. I don't know anything because I'm just a what? What do you call me? Uh, I'm just a civvy, right? Uh, a civvy. Well, Jessica Lynch knows. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll be seeing. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Sorry, John. Hopefully, you know. Uh, anyway, we'll talk later. But yeah, I I think we kind of covered things well, you know. And I, and I wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit, and I think we covered the points. Is there something we forgot to discuss in terms of pros and cons for suppressor use, especially in these modern conflicts? Is there something we failed in? Let us know in the comment section below. Maybe we'll revisit this video if there's enough points of contention, either for or against our arguments. But uh, they're not really arguments. They're really just more kind of laying the things out in the way we see it. And also our experience. I mean, we've shot a lot of random suppressors over the years, so we've kind of learned like what works and what doesn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Both in technologies, a little bit here and there, can designs. Now, maybe not at the level of you know dumping two hundred, three hundred rounds out of the gun every single day in some random firefight. But I no. guess that would be the last point to end on. There's special, there's special cans for that purpose. There are, yeah. but I guess that would be the sort of the last thing to end this video on. Would be to say that if anything, what this shows us is that this modern battlefield situation we see in the Ukraine and such widespread suppressor use. It will, in the future, either make or break the idea of the concept. Maybe after the conflict, they'll go, you know what? Maybe suppressors weren't all they were cut out to be. Uh, maybe they weren't worth the trouble. Or maybe they'll do uh, an after-action assessment down the road and go, you know what? Suppressors won the day and made the difference. I think the latter will be true. I think they, they will. suppressors will always make a better difference in, in the, your capabilities uh, in that type of a situation, especially in the chaos of warfare. And and then maybe there will be some some better data that we can glean 
and talk about as to, you know, um, what capabilities were increased or decreased by the use of those suppressors. Hey, we had to do more maintenance. We had to do whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll know more, I guess, when the war is well, over. Um, keep an eye on Twitter. It, yeah. Take some screenshots. Let me know. Go over there and uh, you got to follow Ukrainian Weapons Tracker. Uh, that's one of the pages that I follow there on uh, on on Twitter. And uh, it's great. You know, he posts all kind of different footage and things like that that he can post. I mean, there's some Telegram channels that have, you know, some of the more risque uh, footage that will make you lose sleep at night. Uh, I would probably not seek that out if you're squeamish. Uh, but there, there's lots of footage and there's lots of uh, information to be learned from that, inf- you know, from that footage. So anyway, check it out and make sure you follow us on Twitter. All right, Iraq Veteran 8888. I've got the Twitter deck pulled up right now. Um, I think, yeah, it's just Iraq Veteran 8888. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're almost at 100,000. Help us get up to 100,000. So, again, big thanks to Griffin Armament. You guys are awesome. Thanks for supporting today's video. And uh, look, lots more videos on the way. I really appreciate you guys watching. Have yourselves a wonderful day. You got anything else before we leave? We're good. All right. So, there it is, guys. Have a good one. Many more videos on the way, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.